Exodus 25, uh, verses 31 to 40. We're looking tonight at the golden lampstand. One more piece of the tabernacle furniture. Before we read the passage and consider it, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, as we uh, turn to this word of yours written thousands of years ago, uh, we admit that it is often hard to discern what in the world this has to do with us, living 2,000 years on this side of the first coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we do so, as we take a look at these things in the tabernacle, we ask that you would instruct us and teach us, that you change the way we think, the way we feel, what motivates us, and also what we say and do. And we pray that you'll do this all by the powerful working of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, Exodus 25 at verse 31, you shall make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be made of hammered work. Its base, its stem, its cups, its calyxes, and its flowers shall be of one piece with it. And there shall be six branches going out of its sides, three branches of the lampstand out of one side of it and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side of it. Three cups made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower on one branch. And three cups made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower on the other branch. So for the six branches going out of the lampstand. And on the lampstand itself, there shall be four cups made like almond blossoms with their calyxes and flowers. And a calyx of one piece with it under each pair of the six branches going out from the lampstand. Their calyxes and their branches shall be of one piece with it, the whole of it a single piece of hammered work of pure gold. You shall make seven lamps for it, and the lamps shall be set up so as to give light on the space in front of it. Its tongs and their trays shall be of pure gold. It shall be made with all these utensils out of a talent of pure gold. And see that you make them after the pattern for them, which is being shown you on the mountain. Thus far the reading of God's word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives this evening. So brothers and sisters of Hope Church and everyone with us here uh, tonight and listening, uh, just as a reminder, we are in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament. The Israelites have just come out of Egypt. God is establishing for himself a people who are going to be ruled by his rule in the Old Covenant until Christ comes in a nation called Israel. And he is setting up for them instruction manuals, as it were, so that the Israelites can learn every time they go to the tabernacle, every time they come to worship the Lord, they can learn about who this God is, who they are as sinners, and how it is you can approach this God and what believing in him and following him is all about. What are this God's priorities? And we've noticed that in the Holy of Holies is the Ark of the Covenant. You approach God with blood. There needs to be a sacrifice. We can only approach him at that place where there's mercy offered at the mercy seat. And we discovered that's Jesus. We already knew that. We, we looked at that. We've looked at the table of showbread, how God feeds our spiritual souls. And now we're looking at the lampstand uh, itself. And the Israelites here are learning and we're learning or being reminded of the alphabet. So if you're going to teach somebody to write like C.S. Lewis, or I, I don't know who are really good authors. He's certainly not the best author out there. But if you're going to teach somebody to write well, they got to learn ABCs. The Israelites are learning ABCs. If you're going to teach somebody to do calculus, they got to know how to 
say the numbers one through 10 and in what order they come in. That's just the basics. So we're learning the very basics of the Christian faith here in the passage regarding the tabernacle and its furniture. And I want to just begin by noticing the lampstand itself. Again, very quickly, like we looked at the table of the showbread, it's a very simple apparatus. It's made of about 75 pounds of gold, one talent of gold. It's solid gold. It's not acacia wood overlaid with gold. It's solid gold. And the way it was formed is everything was hammered out. So I don't know how many hundreds or thousands of hours it took to craft this thing with some of the most skillful craftsmen available. But this was quite a big deal. It had a main trunk. And on this main trunk were calyxes and flowers. I think the calyx is the part that goes around the flower petals, kind of protecting them or overlay them at one point. So it's got four calyxes and flowers, four sets on the main stem. And then on each side of the main stem are three more stems that come off. And they're making seven lights total. And on the top of each of these stems, all seven of them is a cup that we know from Leviticus uh, 24 and also Exodus 27 verses 20 to 21 was to be filled with olive oil that was provided the priests by the Israelites and the priests were to keep those cups filled and lit so there would always be light in the holy place which is where the golden lampstand existed. So the tabernacle with its numerous layers of cloth and leather, which we'll notice, Lord willing, in the coming weeks, would have been a very dark place to enter. Even if it was broad daylight, there was enough covering on this tabernacle. We're not thinking like modern day tent fabric, where as soon as the sun's up and you're camping and you're awake, it's bright as daylight inside your tent. That's not how this tabernacle was constructed. Lots of leather, lots of cloth. So when you walked inside, if there was no light, it would just be dark. And so this golden lampstand lit up the holy place. And no doubt when the high priest on the day of atonement went into the most holy place, peeled back the curtain a little bit to walk in there, this lampstand would have provided light back there in that spot as well. So when you were a priest, when you were a priest entering the holy place, you would have been struck by just how bright and light it was in the holy place. So we're discovering the basic building blocks of the Christian faith. And there are particularly two things I want us to notice about this lampstand. We could maybe do more, but for sure these two. The lampstand symbolized life in the form of a budding almond tree, basically, which was a portrait of the tree of life. More on that in just a little bit. The lampstand also provided and symbolized light. So life and light are both being taught here. And I want to first walk through the lampstand as a portrait or a lampstand as a teacher to eternal life. So when you looked at the lampstand, you would immediately be struck with its look as a small tree with branches. We're not told how tall it was, but it looked like a golden tree, a golden almond tree or amid if you're from California, golden almond tree. And if you couple that with the cherubim that were on the other side and also woven into the fabric of the curtain, and you couple that also with flames, then when you were a priest and you walked into the holy place, Genesis 3.24 would have been just red lighting itself all over your mind. Because here's Genesis 3.24, how the Garden of Eden was left before it kind of drops off the map. He drove out the man... And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim 
and a flaming sword through that fire that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So in the Garden of Eden, there's a flaming sword, cherubim. There's the tree of life. When you enter into the holy place, you're confronted with cherubim. You've got flames and you've got a tree. Wow. Okay. The imagery's there. So you're a priest and you're thinking all about these things. Now, this has led a lot of people to conclude that the lampstand is a bit of the Garden of Eden. And the lampstand there is actually a portrait of the tree of life. Now, this is encouraging and discouraging. It's discouraging because if you know Genesis 3.22, you realize that the tree of life is cut off. There's no way back in. The Lord said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. The Lord sent them out. So access to eternal life is cut off via the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve could have enjoyed eternal life forever. Well, obviously eternal life is forever. They could have enjoyed eternal fellowship with God if they had not sinned. Now the way back to eternal life is no longer through the Garden of Eden because anybody who goes through there will be killed with the flaming sword. So when you walk into the holy place as a priest in Israel, you would have discovered something. Hey, there's a hint that God is telling us it's possible to get back into his fellowship and have eternal life. There, there's a bit of hope here. We've got a golden lamp. So we've got the tree of life here. We've got cherubim. We've got flames. But we're welcomed in, some of us, at certain times. Okay, this is progress. We're no longer cut entirely off. So we're learning that there's a door open to eternal life, to the tree of life, symbolized in the lampstand. So the lampstand is teaching us that the tabernacle is the way back to the tree of life. It's teaching God's people this. So let me walk through as well some passages in the Old Testament which talk about life and light together. So Psalm 36, 9, with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. So the people came to associate God even just with light through the pillar of fire and through the lampstand. And they called that light that they see in God the fountain of life. So they're associated there. Psalm 56, 13, you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Proverbs 6, 23, the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. So again, their light and life are combined. So God is teaching the Israelites and all people that the way to eternal life is in his presence and his presence is enjoyed right there in the holy place. And then if you flip all the way over to the new covenant, John, especially <laughs> in case there was any question about who this lamp pointed to, says in John 1.4, in the word was life and the life was the light of men. And then just Jesus just flat out removes any doubt in John 8 when he says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus is saying, I'm light. And if you want life, if you want what the golden lampstand pointed to, eternal life in God's presence that was lost in the Garden of Eden, but that God has reestablished entrance into through his covenant of grace. If you want that eternal life, it's through me. You've got to come to me. 
That's what Jesus is saying. For all those who embrace Jesus Christ, who receive the gift of eternal life in Christ, they will eventually find themselves all the way at the end of the story, back in the midst of the tree of life and fellowship with God. Revelation 22, 1 through 2. The river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on the either side of the river, the tree of life, yielding its fruit each month. The tree of life reappears, but in that instance, we're in the midst of the tree of life, full-blown in God's presence, except it's better than the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden, God created Adam and Eve in such a way that they could, have, that they could lose it, that they could blow it. When we get to the new garden, the new heavens and the new earth, we won't even have the possibility of sinning. Won't even be possible. We won't even be in the presence of sin. Now, I want us to consider something briefly just about eternal life being found in Christ. Eternal life can only be found in Jesus. That's what God is teaching his people. You want access to the tree of life here? That's, that, that's great. Access to the tree of life comes in my presence. It comes in the tabernacle. And eventually we discover it comes through Jesus Christ. So God's teaching us people and the world that the only way back to eternal life, the only way to have eternal life is through Jesus Christ, his son. If we believe in him, we have eternal life. If we don't believe in him, we don't. It's just that simple. And eternal life is indeed a big deal. People are searching for it. I remember, it, it's been a little bit. I refreshed my memory. Um, in 2016, James Strolley founded the Coalition for Radical Life Extension. And the motto for this coalition is we have a responsibility not to pass on the suffering of aging for the next generation. So they view aging as suffering. Obviously, aging, and uh, it entails suffering. And they said, we want to create a society where we, we can live as long as we want and dying is optional. And in the article I read in The Guardian entitled How to Live Forever, Meet the Extreme Life Extensionists in 2019, uh, the author wrote this, life extensionists have become a fervent and increasingly vocal bunch. Famously, the community includes venture capitalists and Silicon Valley billionaires, non-gerontologists all, and nearly all men who consider death undesirable and appear to have made so much money they require infinite life in which to spend it. But now mere mortals are joining the throng, heads filled with fantasies of forever. Humans have lusted after immortality for as long as they have been alive. So far the quest has proved unsuccessful. We still die. But good news, paradise is reported to be closer now than ever before, and private clinics and online pharmacies are promising to help get us there, there being the future, namely all of it. There being a future in which we can live basically as long as we want. Now this James Strolley is aiming to live 150 years. A lot of his adherents are thinking, yeah, I'll live to 180. They take something like 70 to 150 supplements a day. They've just got this down to a science. That's how they're going about it. Maybe they'll live a really long time. But the point is this, they're looking for eternal life. They're looking to, and they also wanna have quality of life at the end of life. They're, they're trying to research so that they can live long and also live healthy. What they're really after can only be found in Jesus. We've all got this impulse as human beings. I wanna live long, I wanna live well. Well, beloved, when we get to heaven, we're gonna discover something in Christ. We're gonna live way longer than we could ever live on this earth. And we're gonna live way better 
than even our best day on earth. Our worst day in heaven will be infinitely greater, not even worthy to be compared to our best day on earth. That's real living. That's found in Jesus. You and I have that in him, full and free. Well, I want to turn now from the lampstand as life to the lampstand as light. So one of the things the lampstand did is provide light in the holy place, which testifies that God and being in his presence has to do with light. God is a God of light. And in the Old Testament, uh, picking up on that notion that God is light, David in 2 Samuel 22 wrote, You are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Isaiah 9, 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. Isaiah 42 and 49 speaks of the servant as one who will be a light for the nations. Isaiah 60 speaks of a future day. The sun shall be uh, no more. You light by, shall no more light the day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your glory, your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be everlasting light. Micah 7, 8, when I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. So what is highlighted in the Old Testament for sure is that God is a God of light. He shines in the darkness, and he provides clarity for his people. And then in John 1, 9 again, when you flip over to the New Covenant, John just kind of blows the doors off this when he says, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. Speaking of Jesus, the word. And then in John 8, 12 again, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. 1 John 1, verse 5, God is light and him is no darkness at all. The lampstand teaches us that light is found in Jesus. If you want light, if you don't want to live in darkness, if you don't want to live in misery, you can find light and life by coming to the Lord through Jesus Christ. Now I want to just mention some things that are fairly obvious. Everyone who lives apart from Jesus Christ is living in darkness, and life in the darkness is a hard life. Listen to how the Bible describes the life of darkness. Proverbs 4.19 the way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know over what they will stumble. So it's a hard, stumbling, difficult life to live in the darkness. Romans 13, 12, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not, or here's what it looks like to live in darkness, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. That's what it is to live in darkness, beloved. To be living in orgies and drunkenness, just going from one scandalous thing to the next, just living for one high after the next, sexual morality, sensuality. Imagine the misery of living in order to satisfy every passion of our flesh. Our flesh says, I need this, and we say, okay, and we drop everything to go satisfy it and live a sensual life. Miserable, always chasing, never finding quarreling and jealousy, the life of darkness, fighting, always fighting, always wishing you had more of something than you currently do, never content ever. That's just a snippet of what it is to live in darkness, purposeless, aimless, 
nobody to thank, never content, always wanting more, always jealous, always full of hate. And when we come to God through Jesus, we find light. And all of a sudden, things are illumined and we can see life clearly for what it really is. One Christian wrote this, Upon receiving Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I experienced a change in the way I view life. I began to see clearly. I started to understand with my mind the truth about what life is about. The light in Christ illuminated my mind about the truth of my identity. I'm a child of God. And my purpose, I'm created to bring God glory in all things and many other things. Life in Christ by far is the most joyful, amazing, adventurous, and exciting life I have ever had. When we come to God through Jesus Christ, what the lampstand teaches us, when we come to God through Jesus, all of a sudden we can see things clearly. We have purpose. Now, for those of us who the testimonies, who have the testimonies that we've always known the Lord, this will come as less experientially potent than it will be for those who have walked in a life of darkness into their adult years and come to know the light later on. Because for many of us, the darkness may be theoretical. Yeah, I've never actually lived this hateful life. That's how I was conceived into the world, but I came to faith before my memory ever began. Well, just take Paul's word for it. It's a miserable world. It's a horrible life. Filled with tons of stumbling, filled with a lot of pain, filled with a lot of suffering, filled with tons of questions and no answers. No answers to life. Why am I here? Who do I serve? How do I even deal with all these horrible things I see in my heart? Is there any way out of this imprisonment? To come from that to having the lights clicked on in Jesus Christ and now being aware I know why I'm here. I know what my problem is. It's sin. I know what the problem in the world is. We're all fallen in sin together. And I know how to get out of it. Believe in Jesus. And I know now how I can grow the Holy Spirit working in me and me using the tools that God has given to his people whom he's made alive in Christ, using the word, using prayer, using fellowship, using encouragement, using all these things in order to grow. Now I understand what human life is all about. I want to highlight something before I drill this home in one more way. We are children of the light, and we enjoy the light. One of the scariest things, not just for kids, but for any human being, is to be put in utter, complete darkness. If you look at studies, one of the hardest things on any human being, the most hardened criminals, is what? Solitary confinement, no window, no daylight. Put the most hardened, experienced, tough guy on the planet in solitary confinement and let him come out after like even 30 days, even two months. And you will likely be dealing with somebody who is so mentally deranged by that point, you could hardly even recognize who they are. They're living in total, utter, complete isolation and complete darkness. That is the kind, that is just a tiny snippet, right, of what it is to live in darkness. It's, it's just debilitating for us as human beings. What would it be like to walk through the most dark spot in the universe where God didn't just shut off the lights of creation, but God completely abandoned you so that we aren't just 
a hundred feet away from another human being, but there's concrete around me, and I know there's sunlight out there, but there's no mercy, there's no grace, and God is now against me. What would that darkness be like? Be soul-torturing, inexplicable. And that's what Jesus went through for us. He walked through the darkness. Remember on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Lights are shut out. Why is God shutting out the lights? Who can behold the horrors of what Jesus Christ is going through for us? Why is he tasting darkness? Why is he going through complete spiritual darkness? So that we would never have to see that. So that we can become children of light. So that we may have a few years before we come to faith in this world where we lived in darkness, but we'll never have to see utter darkness. We'll never have to be completely cast out into the outer darkness. We'll never have to taste God's wrath in that way. So beloved, you and I are children of the light. That's amazing. Just don't forget what it cost Christ to make us children of light. Let us be a people who are just always aware, yeah, I'm, I'm in the light now. <laughs> the only reason I'm in the light is because Jesus Christ had the light shut out on him for my sin. And that's why I'm a child of light now and I'll never know that outer darkness. Praise God, we have such a great savior and a great God for coming up with this plan of redemption. Now, one more thing. The lampstand gave light to all the surroundings in the temple. The temple is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the word become flesh and who tabernacled among us, John 1.14. And now if you move one step farther in redemptive history, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, I've mentioned this in weeks before, actually calls the church at Corinth as a whole the temple of God and each individual believer the temple of God. So the temple of God exists, the tabernacle of God exists, it's where God dwelt, it's fulfilled in Christ. He's the, he's the one who tabernacled among us, he is the tabernacle. And now we are little tabernacles, lowercase t if you want, as God's people. And so it shouldn't come as a surprise to us. When he went to the tabernacle in Israel, it shone like a light, it was bright. If you peel back the curtains, look at it, it's just bright. If you come to Jesus, he's bright, he's the light of the world. And it should come as no surprise to us who are also temples now, for Jesus to say, Matthew 5, 14, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light, light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Or Philippians 2, do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent, Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Ephesians 5.8 For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. In the Revelation 1.20, the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So if you put this all together, where's the light now in this world? In the churches and in individual believers both. That's where this light shines through as a witness to the world. What does it look like to be a light in the world when every generation looks a bit different? But light has to do with obedience. Light has to do with becoming like Jesus. Light has to do with serving God and his kingdom and bearing out the fruit of the spirit. And I was thinking about this this past week a little bit. Yeah, what is it to be light in our current nation, in our current setting here in Pella. Just a few things 
thought came to me, you can multiply this by infinity, by the way. I'm sure you have way better ideas of what this can look like. But I think one of the ways uh, we can shine as lights in the midst of this crooked generation is by listening instead of yelling. Right now in this country, we're big on temper, short on listening and forgiving. People have become so divided in some measure because nobody's actually listening to the people with whom they disagree. They're simply gathering ammunition for when it's their turn to talk so they can throw it. What would it look like to be a Christian as a light who was concerned that people come to the light? And what would it look like if instead of yelling and throwing ammunition at other people with whom we may disagree staunchly, we could actually listen to them and show them respect and kindness. That would be a shining beacon of light, wouldn't it? Radically different than how the world operates. How about forgiveness instead of hate? So revenge, reparations, payback, tit for tat, hitting back, these are all the methods of relationships in the world. Hate those who hate you, like those who like you right? Very simple. Gentiles do that, right? You extend kindness to people who extend kindness to you. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. But you offend me, and then I'm going to come get you. You sin against me, and I'm going to hate you. Uh, You come after me, and eventually I'm going to start coming after you before you even come after me next time. I'm going to be preemptive in it. What would our light look like if when somebody offended us or harmed us or hated us, we just, we forgave. Hey, look, that costs dearly, I I forgive you. Now the civil government may have something against you. There may be charges brought against you. For me, I'm just, I'm letting this go, I, I forgive you. You're a sinner, I was forgiven, an unpayable debt. You owe me 100 denarii, I let it go. Beloved, that'd be a bright light in a world that's filled with, you punch me, I will take you out. You gossip about me, I will destroy you on social media. You hit me, I will hit back way harder. Revenge, forgiveness is a shining light. How about loving clarity instead of hateful truth? What the homosexual and gay pride movement, the Me Too movement, the Black Lives Matter movement has have elicited from many Christians and Uh, is truth spoken in hate rather than love, and then the world can point to us believers as no better than themselves. And I, thinking this out loud, thinking about this out loud and working through this, we're all called to a different standard than the world. We expect that the world will not listen, will shout, will yell, will mistreat, will hate. We can expect that from the world. What else can we do as totally depraved people? Nothing. That's how we're wired to come into this world. But what is a born-again Christian who's got the Spirit of God living in him or her, for whom Jesus is our example now, our Savior, our Lord, and our example? What would it look like as a Christian to actually talk and confront and listen and work through and help? Oh, we would look like a big shining light if we could actually listen. Speak the truth, but do it without hate. Speak the truth clearly but do with love. Speak the truth clearly with kindness. Oh, beloved, that's a shining light. That's just a, that's a city on a hill. Now, you Christians, you just disagree with me and our worldview so much. But like, well, you're onto something there. Yeah, there is injustice. What would it look like for a Christian to say, you know what, you're onto something. You've put your finger on injustice. 
In this world, life is unfair. You're exactly right. In this world, there are people in this world that come into this world from a capitalistic perspective. They are hampered and they will never be able to get ahead. Educationally, financially, their parents are fresh out of slavery. That's just reality. There's some people, some people were born into the world with what, what do we say, a silver spoon. Life in this world is unfair. Can I tell you about a kingdom where everybody's treated like royalty? You're not going to change the unfairness in this world on a massive level. You may make a difference in the lives of individual people. But can you imagine that there's a kingdom where every single subject is treated like royalty? Everyone receives the same inheritance. Everyone reigns. Everyone gets to use their gifts and everyone loves. There's a kingdom like that. It's in heaven and the way in is through Jesus. And I want you to enter in. I want you to believe. What kind of light would that be if as believers we could shine like that? Now I realize a lot of these examples are pedantic. Maybe you disagree on how this could work itself out. I'm not going into much detail. But beloved, the temple of God shone in the Old Testament. Jesus shone when he was here. And now he says, now you guys are shining. I'm the light of the world until I'm in it. As long as I'm in it, but he's gone now. Now he's left us to be lights. What does that look like in your life? What does it look like in mine? Let's pray.